Hey everyone, Zach here. I'm really excited to bring you today's episode, which features a conversation between Luke Summerfield from HubSpot and yours truly. Luke is such an inspiring thinker and he's just a true disruptor uh, when it comes to the website design and development space. I look forward to hearing your all's feedback. This is probably one of my uh, favorite interviews to date. But speaking of inspiring thinkers and disruptors, I wanna quickly thank the team at Mongoose for making today's conversation possible. Mongoose, if you're not familiar with them, they're really at the forefront of bringing conversational marketing to higher ed. Their texting platform, which is called Cadence, along with their intelligent chatbot, which is called Harmony, are real game changers when it comes to prospective student engagement. If you're not familiar with Mongoose already, or you just want to learn more about how your school can use chatbots for student recruitment and engagement, you've got to go and download their latest free guide called Does Your College Website Need a Chatbot? You can do this at mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. And what's super cool guys is when you uh when you go to the landing page you actually get to interact with a chatbot in order to access the resource this resource is full of lots of information from things like how to calculate your current lead conversion rate using google's free analytics tool to how to discover what forms on your website are not converting prospective students and why and a lot more so go ahead and head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify after today's episode and download this free resource again that's mongooseresearch.com Research.com forward slash enrollify. Enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Boozy Cruz and I am your host for today's episode. And today I have the privilege of speaking with Luke Summerfield, who is the go-to-market lead CMS hub at uh, at HubSpot. Luke, welcome to the show. Welcome. Well, thanks, thanks so much for having me. I am really excited about this because education is, and learning is a topic I'm super passionate about. And um, so anytime I get to um, nerd out a little bit about education and in this context, also my other passion, web, uh, it's beautiful. Fantastic. Well, really, really excited for you to be here. Can you just give us a quick overview of who Luke Summerfield is, uh, what HubSpot is, and then what your uh, somewhat ambiguous role at HubSpot looks like? (laughs) Sure. Um, So uh, HubSpot is a uh, marketing and sales and service and now website uh, platform. And it basically allows you to run the whole front part of uh, the experience someone would have um, interacting with your university. And my role there is specifically um, around our website products and figuring out how do we, one, make sure that all the folks using our website products are super happy. And and two, how do we grow uh, the business of the website products? So figuring out um, the strategy, the go-to-market, uh, working. I'm on the product team, so building the product itself and working with all the teams that make that happen. So um, they keep it pretty fuzzy. The go-to-market lead role is pretty fuzzy intentionally because um, it really is anything that anything that could be impacting the two numbers I own, which are um, the net promoter score, like basically how happy are people using our product, and then, yeah, the revenue. So they... Every every month I have different initiatives that I'm working on, every quarter, I should say. Fantastic. And could you give us a sense for what did you do before you were at HubSpot or specifically before you were in this role at HubSpot? Can you give us a quick kind of crash course on your career to your career to date, so to speak? Yeah, and my I, I think my my fuzzy role at HubSpot is um, very accurate to my entire career and uh, and life. And that uh, really came from from a very very early age uh, in high school, uh, and I won't go through my whole <laughs> my whole history <laughs> here. But uh, it's always been about building really interesting um, businesses or projects. So I guess you could you know from a, a young age I wanted to be an inventor, and that sparked into um, building a bunch of businesses. One starting in high school where I had a, a storefront and a field for paintball. And that huh. was my big thing selling, selling paintball equipment. Um, it was a cool little business. We had like seven or eight people working for us. We 
we did um, you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in sales as a high schooler. Wow! And then sold sold that business off when I went to college and said I'm going to focus on school. And I went to school for um, entrepreneurship and marketing. Uh, also double majored in graphic design, but because a lot of the prerequisites didn't transfer over, it was like way too much school for me. So um, I ended up after about two years in in design, I. Uh, just focused on finishing up marketing and entrepreneurship. And uh, then from there, it's just been like a scattered, um, you know, throughout college. Uh, of course, I, I could, I got the bug for uh, the itch for starting another business. So I started another business with some um, kickback check. I got 1500 bucks for school expenses. And I was living with my parents at the time. So I said, well, I don't need living expenses. I, d- I got my school expenses, uh, you know, I'm paying for why don't I use this to start a little business? Um, and I got some t-shirts printed, got two cut and sew things overseas. And five years later, uh, I had a little apparel brand doing a hundred thousand uh, a year in sales as like a little side gig and, and then ended up selling that off, um, as well once I graduated. So, um, bunch of other things is that, you know, I have, I have a whole previous life of projects before HubSpot, but going kind of fast forwarding, um, right before I worked at HubSpot, um, after I graduated, um, for about three years, I worked for an agency. And so that agency was helping businesses grow. We worked in nonprofit SaaS, which is software companies, essentially, and, um, and e-commerce. And so we had a few educational clients, and I always enjoyed working with them. That agency um, ended up getting acquired, and I jumped to my next adventure at HubSpot, which uh, they hired me without a role. They just hired wow. me um, because... They knew me. They had been working with me on various projects. Yeah. Um, they, they, I mean, at the end of the day, they knew that I would find some way to provide value and help the, the, our customers and our company grow. And so, um, you know, they, they figured we'd find a, a good project uh, along the way. And, um, and we did. So I did a, a little tour of duty at HubSpot working from the um, – we have a agency partner program, worked there for a bit, worked on the marketing team. Uh, worked in our, we have a HubSpot Academy, which is like our online educational courses and trainings and certifications. And I worked there for a while building out some courses. And um, then the last yeah three years have been in the product team working with first a lot of developers, people building on top of HubSpot. And then the last year on uh, CMS Hub. So it's a long winded, uh, I guess, background actually, but hopefully it's kind of interesting for those listening. No, that's absolutely, I mean, it's at least fascinating to me, you know, going from selling uh, paintball equipment to uh, leading the CMS hub at HubSpot, you know, you've, you've come a long way in a, in a relatively short period of time. Uh, it's it's fantastic. And, you know, for, for our listeners here, I have uh, learned a lot from Luke just watching his videos and actually attending several events, um, uh, several uh, uh, workshop sessions that he's given at Inbound, which is a big event that HubSpot puts on every year, and as well as some events that he's put on at Partner Day. And he's just an incredible thought leader. So go and follow him on LinkedIn and, and, and on Twitter and wherever else he might be um, if you are just looking for great learning tips. Um, I've really appreciated all that you have offered the space um, over the past several years, Luke. So sounds like it, it's been, it. I've never heard your backstory. So it's good to hear a little bit more about sort of the origins of, of Luke Summerfield. So thank, <laughs> thanks for sharing uh, all that with us. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I want to have a conversation about websites um, and specifically about the role that the website plays in enrollment marketing and student recruitment today. Um, But before we do so, Luke, I was hoping you could just give us a quick history lesson in sort of, you know, at least from your perspective, how has the website industry changed in just the past decade? Um, You know, I I know that you've written about this and talked about this and presented on this a fair amount recently. And I just love for you to give us a little kind of uh, quick summary on how you've seen the industry grow and, and change in the past 10 years. One of, the, one of the things that I know educators think about quite a bit is uh, the thought that history repeats itself. <laughs> and so how do we look at uh, uh, things or events in the past and how, you know, what were the conditions that caused those events to happen and um, to have predictors uh, today? You know, in MBA programs, you read a lot of case studies um, for that. And the world that we live in in the web world is very, very similar to uh, a world that we all experienced at some level 
back in the 90s, and that's the world of software. Um, and the reason I say we all experienced it is if you remember back to the 90s, the standard for delivering software to um, customers were was a CD, a CD-ROM. And so you'd have like Microsoft 95, their team would be coding away, they'd spend a lot of time and energy, they would build this CD, and they'd kind of release it into the world. And um, once it was in the world, that was kind of it. They'd go back to the, the, the coding dungeon and start coding away on Microsoft 98. And so it'd take about two years before the next iteration, the next improvements of the software. And, um, and it was very difficult for them to you know, make continuous improvements on it. And then they'd go to release Microsoft 2000. Sure. And, and that was just like the standard. But what was happening behind the scenes was that there was three fundamental shifts happening in the software world. The first one was around technology. It was getting a lot faster um, to do um, server computing, right? So you were able to, to host things in the cloud, right? You had this kind of whole cloud computing and it was getting faster, faster, faster. And it was getting cheaper. Um, so not only was it faster, but it was also cheaper. And it was easier than ever to get analytics on how people were interacting and data about you know, the people interacting with it. So technology was improving. Second was process. Because of that technology shift, it influenced the way that people go about building software. It was no longer, let's build this giant CD over two years and then launch it. It's it shifted to a process where, um, which we, we experience every single day, where you download um, or experience some type of software. And then every single day or every single week, that company is improving the software and making a better experience, adding new features um, and being really smart about that. And then it's also um, influenced the third, the third shift was culture. How do you go about building a company around software? How does a company think about the software product and growing the business as a part of it? And so those three elements um, kind of came together to spark uh, what we call in the software world, the SaaS revolution. SaaS means software as a service, and essentially that's how all modern software is. And that just means that instead of getting a CD, instead of getting a piece of software that you have to download and host on servers that you have to manage, and you're basically dealing with all that, all, you basically pay a fee and you get access to the software, and it's always going to be improving, always going to be better, always going to be on um, and hosted in the cloud. So that, of course, like today, fast forward to 2020, and that's the standard. Now, if we shift to looking at the web world, we are seeing those same three fundamental shifts in the web world where, one, the technology that is powering websites is changing, and the, and the things that we need to evaluate when thinking about technology is very different than what it was in the past. Um, and we'll talk about each one of these, I'm sure, in more detail. Um, but then because of that, the process that you can go about building a peak performing website that's going to impact enrollment, impact the university, provide uh, world-class experiences for your students and your applicants, um, that process is changing. And then how does the university think about the website as a tool to drive the growth of the university, to drive the experience, that culture shift is changing as well. We're seeing all three of those shift, um, very similar to what's on the software world. I love that analogy, and I think that that's a, a great, very, very helpful framework um, through which to think about all of these things. And I'd love for you, if, if you wouldn't mind, to unpack sort of, right, you talk about the this this intersection of culture and process and technology. Uh, could you, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit here, but uh, could you unpack each of these a little bit for us and talk a, a little bit about how you think from, from your perspective, folks working in higher education, um, folks who are working in enrollment management, enrollment marketing, how they might be able to make sense of how this fits within a university context. Sure. Let's let's first take a look at um, what we're seeing kind of across the board, and I'll sprinkle in some education, university-specific. Fantastic. Um, thoughts in there. And then we could also, um, you know, we could also, of course, talk about, uh, talk about the, um, some more specific follow-ups on that. So again, if we look at those three shifts and we first take a look at, um, the business culture, the first thing that we noticed in the way that the business culture is shifting is that traditional culture towards your website is very much a, what 
looks pretty. It's what 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 do we think looks pretty? What does the you know dean of the university or the head of the department think looks pretty? It's very much based on assumptions. Sure. Um, and and what we've seen is that modern companies they instead of thinking it as like a, an assumption based approach, they're taking a very data driven approach where. Um, because they have access to so much data um, and insights structured in a way that's usable, they're able to see how actual users on their site or students on their site are interacting with certain content. What are they not interacting with? They're able to gather qualitative and quantitative feedback and make more informed decisions on how to improve. So it's very much shifting to a data-driven decision type of a culture. The second shift that we're seeing is that traditional culture around it is seeing the website as a business expense. It's sort of just this thing you have to do. It's part of the nature of the beast. You spend money on it. It's marked as an expense column in the financial books. And what we're seeing is when we look at modern cultures, and when I say modern, we're, we're looking at what companies in Silicon Valley and, and HubSpot, Facebook, Google, Slack, you know, all of these really um, high growth companies, how do they think about their website? They think about their website instead of as an expense, as a growth investment. Hmm. And so just like any asset that a university owns, as they invest in that asset, it's going to return more and more investment uh, out of it. And so they think very much like, the more I invest into my website, it's an asset to our university. The more I invest in there, the more output, the more return I'm going to get on that. And so that's a very different mindset shift in terms of just how you think about it from um, a company standpoint. Sure. And then it's the also, third shift. Oh, sorry. Oh, I, I was just, I'm just going to follow up with that. It, it, it's almost like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but a shift from thinking about the website as a place for existing constituents as opposed to thinking about it as a place for the generation of new prospective students, right? The, the website as uh, not just a, a kind of static resource um, for people within the context of the university, but, at, uh, but as a dynamic way in which uh, universities can generate new, new inquiries for their programs. Well, I love, I love that's where your brain's at, Zach, because that's exactly the third thing that we're seeing, um, which is the third shift, which is, again, traditional culture is really seeing the website as this kind of static brochure. And it's kind of like, hey, we had some PDF that we like digitized or <laughs> we had a set of resources that were that used to be, you know, print resources we gave out when people visited the university. But now we have this like digital version. What what modern cultures are, are viewing the website is exactly what you're talking about. It's a living, breathing thing. And so they actually think of the website as a product. And so just like you have, a, a, you know, educational products, the programs that you offer, and those programs are always evolving. They're always changing. You're always improving it. The website itself acts like a product. And um, you always, you know, it's a living, growing thing that you're always um, improving on. And that product has a wide sweeping impact. And so um, the way that I like to describe it now is that it doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether it's university, manufacturing, medical, like anyone who has a website, which is guess what? Every business, every organization, (laughs) um, you're now in the software business. You You are building a software product, which is your website. And that software product, as you mentioned, Zach, has wide sweeping impact on how you leverage it as a tool for growth, a tool for growing. And so you can leverage the website, one, to, like you mentioned, leverage it as a way to bring in and attract new um, candidates or new recruits or new um, prospective students for a program. You can use it for new student onboarding. You can use it for running classes and integrate it into all of your existing systems for managing the experience um, that someone has. You can also use it for alumni and advocacy programs. And I mean, the, the, the takeaway here is that it's a product you can use across the entire journey from freshmen, you know, and beyond earlier than freshmen to lifelong person. They can, they can, it's a tool for the entire journey. I, I, I absolutely love that. And I think that that's a, 
uh, sort of a, a missing kind of uh, perspective um, at, at many institutions is there's this tendency to think about the website as an afterthought, to think about it as something that's primarily for faculty members to post updates and or for advancement to you know run run campaigns through. And I think that uh, over the past several years, we've, we've seen this happen more and more, but I still think that higher ed has a long way to go with really thinking about how do we use the website across the entire enterprise, right? How do you use the website well for everything? You know, your website should be able to give you insights from everything from initial Google ad click from a prospect all the way through mm -hmm. where that person ends up 5, 10, 15 years post uh, post graduation, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of uh, of, of uh, ground to make up in in this sort of perspective change, uh, which I think this is sort of an, an interesting segue, Luke, into something that you I believe birthed, or if not at least made popular, um, and this is this idea of growth driven design um, as a way to kind of yeah, a, a channel all of these everything that we've been talking about into some sort of, of rough methodology. Can you explain a little bit about what GDD is and how it has sort of become a, a, a growing, thriving, helpful framework through which to think about uh, uh, websites um, in the context of any organization, um, but specifically within the context of, of a college or university? Yeah, that, that really goes into the second shift that we're seeing. And I'll, I'll kind of explain the concepts and then uh, method, uh, the methodology called growth-driven design is essentially just our packaging of how to execute on those concepts. But um, the second shift, again, going back to process, it's really about like how, not like the first part is how should we as an organization think about our website? The second is how do we actually go about building a peak performing website and leverage it as a tool and leverage it as uh, like a growth asset. So how do you do that? Well, when we look at traditional process, the way that most folks historically have gone about building a site, the first challenge that we've seen is that it is very much a, a business or an organization focused strategy. It's really about like if you look at most websites, um, they're very me, 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 me. Why are we the best? Why should you care about us? Like look at all these great things that we do. And what we see is that modern process, um, the kind of the modern process is actually the exact opposite. It's a customer or a student, in this case, a student-focused strategy. And the goal here is to gain an empathetic understanding of the world that your prospective students or that your students live in and then once you have an understanding of that world, weave the website in as a part of that journey. Hmm. So it's a very it's a very subtle change, but a very important change. Traditionally, it's let's build this website to talk about us, and then we're going to throw it out there, throw it at the people, and hopefully something will stick. Yeah. Versus yeah. meeting them where they're at and going to their world and understanding their world and instead finding out where what are they trying to accomplish in their journey? What 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 are they trying to do in this world that they're on this journey? And then weaving the website in to help them in that journey accomplish those things faster, easier, um, better, cheaper than they they would have if we weren't around, right? So it's, it's very subtle but very important difference. Now, the second part of the um, methodology or the process is when we look at traditional process, these websites, for those of you listening who have ever been involved in a website, this may sound familiar, um, they're almost always these huge projects, you know, three, six, nine, 12, maybe in the education space, you know, 18, 24 month long projects, you know, where it's just so painful. Um, they almost inevitably go out of budget. They get delivered late. By the time you launch the thing, you're already ready to like redesign it because it's already out of date. And so that's just, again, it's, it's not that we're operating with um, a lack of, usually a lack of resources or um, a lack of skilled skilled people. It's it's because we're setting ourselves up for that those problems by using this traditional broken playbook. And so in the modern process, what we look for is we want to build a site that looks and performs better than what you have today, but is not perfect. It's a starting point. We're going to build it quickly because we want to get something that looks and performs better than what you have today out there. 
so that we can start collecting real um, student, real prospective student data um, and use that data to make for more informed decisions to improve. Right, so we call this a launch pad site. It's kind of the launch of all your improvement efforts, but it really, it's just a site that looks and performs better than what you have today, but know that it's not gonna be perfect. Um, and the last part of this is, um, you know, again, traditionally, because those are such big projects, we usually kind of like are so glad it's out the door. We are so frustrated <laughs> that we kind of wipe, wipe our hands clean and we say, okay, we, we're gonna set it and forget it. We're gonna go on to like all this other stuff. And then the website sits and it decays over time. It becomes less and less effective. It, it doesn't communicate the proper value. And again, if you're building this off of a lot of assumptions, a lot of you know what we think might work well, but you never actually go back and improve or validate those, um, you know, you probably just like anyone would would miss the mark on some of them. And so modern um, companies they recognize that the the first iteration of the first phase of the website is the starting point. And now that we have that data, every single month we're going to be able to improve the site and optimize it, add additional value onto the site, help in other parts of the journey that someone's on, and just continue to grow the website as a, as a tool for growth um, and provide more value to those students. Um, again, that's like how we think about the modern process. And to your point, we basically packaged everything that we talked about, the, the culture shift, the process, and we've packaged that into a methodology you can follow, um, and we call that growth-driven design. We give a free certification, um, again, in our HubSpot Academy that we have. That was fantastic. That was very, very, very helpful. And you know, so Luke, you've taught, you've you've hit on from a culture standpoint, sort of these these shifts that we're seeing from a process standpoint. Why it's important to um, recognize sort of the shifts from uh, moving from sort of like an institution focused site to a user focused, a, a prospective student focused site. Um, talk to us a little bit about the technology component here, right? So for, for folks thinking, well, uh, you know, Luke, it's great to hear you say we need a launch pad site and we need to be a, you know, we, we need to learn from how our site is performing. And they're thinking in the back of their, their head, how do I even know? Right. So maybe they have basic Google analytics, right. They understand things like traffic and conversions, but what are ways in which people can sort of measure how their website is doing? Or are there a couple, uh, you know, two or three sort of metrics that you kind of, uh, would you encourage people to use when evaluating site performance, especially at the launch pad site? And I guess, taking a step uh, even further back, how should folks think about sort of from a technology standpoint, what they need in order to be able to have access to these insights um, in order to make strategic pivots? Sure. Let's, let's first talk about, um, well, we could talk about the reporting side of things, and then we can talk about some of the other, um, you know, common challenges we see with traditional technology uh, used for the website. So for those not familiar, um, you typically will build your website on a platform called a content management system or a CMS. And the CMS is, or the content management system is essentially the tool that allows you to like manage content, build content on the site. Um, now, what we see is that um, going back to the reporting and analytics, the first thing that comes up quite frequently, and again, this goes back to um, the strategy there's two parts to this. One is having a deep understanding of what prospective students um, or existing students are trying to accomplish uh, in this world, right? And so having that understanding and tying it back to a metric that proves the value you're providing is really, really important. So we talked at the beginning of the podcast about net promoter score, MPS. MPS is a is one um, common measure for how you how your business or organization is um, delivering value to your customers, and the the hardcore folks will probably have a, a email on what the best metric is. But at HubSpot, we use MPS. Um, the question goes: You probably have seen it all, which is um, how likely are you to recommend this product or service to a friend? Sure. The thought is: Is like if you're delivering enough value to a prospective student or to an existing student, it's likely that they're going to want to recommend it. 
Um, and so that's that's one way you can measure it is something like an NPS score um, that is administered through the website. NPS will generally um, measure the entire experience, not necessarily just the website itself, but of course the website is a, is a key part of that. And you can always ask follow-up questions to help nail, uh, nail it down. So that's the first thing goes back to like, are you providing a world-class experience that helps um, make progress on their goals to your students' goals? Again, thinking of it from a, a student-centered strategy. The second part of that is, well, your business, you're, well, you're an organization, you have to grow, you have numbers you have to hit. Um, so the second part is, uh, is the website generating value to the business? Now, that's going to be different, I think, for every organization, depending on what lever in the organization they want to pull. But let's use the prospective students, you know, like the um, application rate, let's say. That could be a common metric that you measure. And so that's a second one that you can measure is like what, how many um, applicants are being generated through the website with the website being the, the, um, the kind of key tool that's driving that. So those are the two. It's like you always have this balancing act between those two things. And then, of course, there's uh, leading indicators to those. So, for example, a leading indicator of MPS could be, well, are they able to find the information they're looking for on the site? Are we getting back to them on a timely manner through our email system? Right. So you can look at a number of leading indicators. They're all going to be a little different depending on uh, the organization. But um, you want to pick three to five leading indicators that are essentially the levers you can pull that will impact that uh, overall net promoter score. On the other end, you know, you have applicants. You you have uh, a number of things you can you can measure on that side as well. So you want to map out your leading indicators. Um, so that's like a high level on just how to structurally think about um, the the way that you measure the performance of your website. Um, but the thing that that maybe some tactical takeaways for the folks listening, for those who have websites, um, you know, the two things that I would look for if you don't already is the first one is make sure that wherever you're hosting the data for your uh, university students. Um, you know, in the in the business world, we call it a customer relations management system or a CRM system. Um, I'm sure in the education space, there's some specific tools that are for that, but um, it's essentially where you you keep all the information about the the interests, the purchases, the behaviors, the things of the prospective and current students. Make sure that the website directly talks to and is directly integrated with that um, student or customer data. And the reason that's important is that if you have disjointed systems where that data is not passed through, you start to see a very fragmented view on what works and what doesn't work. It makes it very fuzzy to report on the ROI, the return on your investments um, with the website, with your content efforts. And so that's the, from a technology standpoint, traditional CMSs make it very fuzzy because they're historically disconnected. You know, you may have something like a WordPress website, or you may have a Drupal website, or some other type of CMS website that's disconnected from all your other systems. Find those modern CMSs that connect all of that into one single spot. Um, that's that's. Other, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask. I was going to ask just a, a follow-up question to that. So, um, uh -huh. help us understand to just from an evaluation standpoint. So, you know, colleges and universities, the the majority of them are are not uh, implementing GDD uh, strategies when thinking about uh, their their website redesign. And hopefully, that after this podcast, that all changes. Um, but as folk, you know, folks are going through website redesigns anywhere between four and five, every four and five years, right? And so for for folks who might be approaching that sort of uh, uh, timeline in their institution's uh, history, and their and their they've been tasked to go and think about like a brand new website, and let's say they have control over uh, the CMS that they end up choosing uh, to to build said new site on. How do how should folks who are um, you know new to this process think about think about evaluating sort of what you're talking about between like a traditional CMS and, 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 and a modern CMS. So you've talked about, right, the need to have it integrated with uh, a CRM or a student information system. What are some other ways in which folks should, um, other, other things that folks should use to help evaluate sort of the, the winners from, from the losers um, as it pertains to the modern CMS? 
Yeah, there's so there's four that that key things, and again, these goes back to the shift that we're seeing in the industry. And we already touched on one, which is that that uh, non-integrated system making it very fuzzy to report. The other shift that we're seeing is that uh, traditional CMSs are often very high maintenance, and by maintenance it means. Uh, one, you could be having to, your IT team may have their own servers and their own instance of the CMS software that they have to maintain. And so there's a certain level of effort just to like keep those servers going, keep them safe, keep them secure, uh, make sure they're up to date, deal with any fluctuations in traffic or bandwidth. Um, it's a lot of work to keep a, a server going. And then on top of the server, you have uh, you know, the server is kind of where the software is hosted. And then on top of it, you have the piece of software itself. And as we talked about earlier, uh, it's a standard in the software industry to do SaaS software, cloud software, software as a service. But for some reason in the CMS world, they are still stuck in the days of CDs. They're stuck in a world where um, it's not built on a SaaS infrastructure. Huh. And what that means is that when you install an instance of some of the um, you know, more common CMSs like Drupal or WordPress uh, or Joomla, those are not built on a SaaS infrastructure. You will have to maintain that software. You'll have to install updates yourself. You'll have to deal with security issues yourself. And we're seeing more and more cases. You can go on Google and search you know, WordPress hacking or WordPress security issues. And there's like 70,000 incidences a day globally on, on security issues with this because it's just so difficult to maintain those systems and keep them up to date. Um, and because that responsibility is on you as an organization or your IT team, or you have to pay someone to do it, um, it's a lot. And so what that does is it pulls your focus away from your prospective students, from your students, and instead, it makes you focus on maintaining the system. Modern CMSs, whether that's HubSpot, whether that's Shopify, whether that's Squarespace, Wix, lots of others on this list, modern CMSs are built on top of a SaaS infrastructure. And what that means is that basically all of those headaches of like maintaining a server and doing security and maintain, you know, like doing plugin updates, we just take care of all of that for you. Like it, it's just completely taken off of your plate, completely taken off your IT team's plate so that you and your IT team can focus on more value added activities. You can focus on your students versus just trying to maintain this like unwieldy clunky system. Or you, you, so even have, like, you, you even have the time to like look at sort of how your site is performing, not because of errors, but because of, you know, interesting trends in conversions and in, in traffic to certain pages. Like you, you, have, you are freed up with bandwidth to garner deeper insights into the experience your site is delivering because you're not so caught up in error, error 404 pages. Exactly. You know, and it's, and it's one of those things it, and that really is the crux of these shifts is because SAS infrastructure to your point, Zach, it takes away that and it frees your time up. It allows a lot of these things we talk about with modern CMSs. The, the second one there that, that also frees your time up and allows you to go faster um, is traditional CMSs. Um, because they're, they're so clunky, these big systems, you have like layers of plugins, layer plugin on top of plugins. Um, they start to become very hard to use for the people that need to do the work day to day on the site. So the marketers, the content creators, they basically, uh, are forced to work with what we call gatekeepers. And a gatekeeper is like a developer or an IT person who, to make any changes on the site, any updates, you have to go through you know, someone to make that happen. And the problem with that is that it's not great for anyone. It slows the marketing and the, and the content team's time down. It's very, you know, you have to submit something to the IT team. They're on some other project. Maybe they'll prioritize it if you're lucky and you, you know, the stars align and some magic happens. Six weeks later, the site will get updated. Um, and that's very, very slow, especially for, it's very painful as well, frustrating. Um, what we see, it's also painful, I guess, for the um, developers and the IT team. You know, their time 
is best spent building very rich experiences for students on the site, building new student dashboards, building application processing, you know, processes and application um, apps, uh, web apps, building, um, you know, much more rich type of experiences on site, not changing a button color or adding a line of text, you know, like that's just such basic work that should be done um, by the team who owns the content and who's trying to own that own own that page um, and that it's a it's it frees the IT and the developers time up to focus on more impactful things so to wrap that all up on on the the second thing that we're seeing or I guess the third thing that we're seeing we talked about the fuzzy reporting we talked about the high maintenance and low security the third thing is that gatekeepers is what we're seeing with um, traditional CMSs modern CMSs are built in a way that just enable the marketing team and the content team to just get their work done the developers can build an editing experience on the CMS that enables the team to get their work done doesn't have to go to a developer for every little change and then the beauty of it is it frees the IT and the developers time up to, again, focus on building those bigger, more impactful uh, student experiences on the site, building those web appy type of experiences. Um, and the last one that I'll mention that we see with traditional CMSs, it goes back to that j- disjointed system. When you have a disjointed system, like we're seeing in the world of, uh, in the world today, the shift to the companies that win or the organizations that win, it's it's all about the experience someone has. Like the reason that Uber or Lyft is just dominating the taxi market is not that they're doing anything functionally better in the sense of you go from point A to point B in the exact, you know, like you get to the same end destination as you do with a taxi. It's no different. But what's different is the experience of going from point A to point B. And so when you go down the list of all of the companies that we use on a regular regular basis, like Amazon and DoorDash or Grubhub and, um, you know, the, the mattress companies you buy online, the mat, you know, uh, Purple is the mattress company, uh, Dollar Shave Club, all of these companies are not actually producing a product that's, that's significantly better. It's sure. the experience that's better. So what I'm saying here is that with the traditional CMS being disjointed from all your other systems, all your other data, it is nearly impossible to create a world-class experience for prospective students or, or, or students. It creates a one-size-fits-none where the first time a prospective student visits the site, it's going to look the exact same as a lifelong you know, lifelong uh, student who's an advocate for the university. Um, it's the same exact experience. And so modern CMSs, because it's coupled uh, directly with all the, the data and it creates it makes it very easy to take action on that data. Uh, You can create these powerful personalized experiences that aren't found anywhere else. Right. And that, that those students will um, end up enjoying and end up, you know, again, becoming students, becoming lifelong um, advocates to the program. You can create those personalized experiences with modern CMSs. All right, everyone, this is just a quick reminder to take a note on your notepad or make a little uh, reminder on your phone, whatever it is, to head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash Enrollify after today's episode to download their free resource on does your college website need a chatbot? Again, that's mongooseresearch.com forward slash Enrollify. All right, back to the conversation. What I think is just... Um, uh, exacerbated even more in, in the higher ed space is just you're dealing with a lot, a lot of silos. And you've got the admissions mm. team working over here, the marketing team over, you know, working over here, advancement over there. And then you've got faculty who run their own websites because they can't get IT to respond to their requests fast <laughs> yeah. enough. And then you lose tracking on, you know, oh, wow, you, you, you know, 20% of your prospective students are engaging with Dr. So-and-so's website over here. And like, wouldn't you love to have that insight, right? And so what yeah. I love about the the approach that you're talking about is it's not just really good at delivering a a better experience for the user but for uh the folks inside the house like uh, the the admissions folks the marketing folks it helps uh just dis- totally disrupt and break down those silos and give people internally who work in different departments better access quicker access
access, uh, more meaningful access into the data that they need in order to do their jobs better. So I love this 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 structure and this framework that you're talking about here, and I think that uh, this is this is the epitome of what's wrong with how universities think about website development in a very very sort of siloed um, um, sort of way. And so I love I love these insights, and I think that they're they're incredibly helpful. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Zach, because we, we have a lot of universities that use HubSpot. Um, but the usually the starting point is, you know, because you have the entire depart, you have like an entire, obviously, university, and then you have a college, you have departments, like some of these websites are just so massive and yeah. have so many stakeholders. It's like, it's like trying to steer the Titanic. And so where we see most universities have success is to find an individual program or potentially department that is ready for a change, that wants to have more autonomy in, in building out the program and growing the program um, and, and everything that we've talked about. Like that, that specific unit within the institution has already kind of made that mindset shift. And they start there. And um, usually what happens is once that department starts to make that change and they see what that department is doing, all of a sudden everyone uh, in the university yeah, yeah. starts perking up and they say, wow, like, I can't believe that you did X, Y, and Z. Like, how did you do that? Tell me about that. And then as it starts to spread, it's a lot easier to go back and to the entire college or to the, you know, maybe the entire university and say, look, here's what we did in our particular apartment. Here's the results we saw. Here's what the team said. Here's how they were able to work differently. Wouldn't you like that for each of the other departments or each of the other colleges? And um, that's usually how we start. So I think that's an important kind of takeaway for anyone listening is like, you don't have to eat the entire elephant, you know, just do it one bite at a time and start with um, the the things you directly own. You, you feel like you can um, get other people in that area on board. Yep. Yep. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's the way in is, you know, the way to win is to build something that's so great that everyone else wants it. And then, in, you know, and, and then you as the marketer, as the, you as the admissions officer, VP of enrollment, whoever it might be, says, okay, you want this, great, I'll, I'll get it for you. But this is what it's going to take to get, the, you know, for you to get that. Um, you've got to, you've got to play by our rules. And, and, you know, you got to build the infrastructure that you wanted to build, the processes, the system, you know, the culture, the technology that you want to build. And then you make others play by your rules if they want to play in your sandbox. So I, I love that. I have uh, two final questions for you, Luke, and sure. these are uh, questions about the HubSpot's product in particular. Um, talk to me quickly about what you think HubSpot, the HubSpot CMS, uh, is doing better than anyone else right now. And then a follow-up question to that is: What aspects of the CMS are you? Do you think you know need the most attention or, or the most work, or maybe a better way of framing that would even be? Which aspects of the the product as it currently is are you most excited about working to improve? Well, I think, I mean, a lot of what we've talked about, all these shifts that we've talked about from culture to process to technology, um, you know, again, these are just shifts that we've observed in the industry. And the beauty is that um, we've built the CMS hub around those shifts. And so... Um, that's probably, you know, everything that we talked about from the maintenance, the high maintenance, the gatekeepers, the one size fits none experience, the fuzzy reporting, all of those things. Again, we've specifically built our CMS around that, um, along with the process, being able to have that data at your fingertips, being able to um, iterate quickly and be agile. Um, and I think that one other you know, kind of important talking track here, talk track here that's important for folks to keep in mind, especially when evaluating any CMS, but I think that HubSpot specifically does quite well, is the world of CMSs are very much about trade-offs. And unfortunately, um, if you pick most CMSs out on the market, you're going to have to make a trade-off between ease of use for the marketing team and the power that a developer um, can have, right? So you mm. can go very upper upper market where you have these large, large Fortune 500 enterprise CMSs like Adobe and Sitecore, and they're extremely powerful, extremely flexible, um, but they are extremely expensive. The, the trade-off here is they're extremely expensive. They uh, take a lot of time to build out. And when you get 
to the end of the day and you hand it off to the team that's doing the actual day-to-day work, it's very difficult for them to get their work done, right? So that's the trade-off there. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, we're seeing um, more lightweight CMSs, you know, probably nothing a university would use, but these lightweight, simple website builders, things like Wix, Squarespace, Weebly, that are built for, you know, solopreneurs or hobbyists. And what they do is they are phenomenally easy for those marketers or for those non-technical folks to just get in there and make updates and make changes to the site. The trade-off there, again, the world of trade-offs, the trade-off there is that they aren't scalable. It's very hard to scale them as your organization grows. Like I said, they probably are not, I guarantee they're probably not usable for any universities listening. And um, and they're also um, very limited in terms of flexibility. They're kind of like what you get out of the box is what you got. And that's about it. Um, and so what we've seen is, you know, there's this kind of other class of CMSs that is the, um, the open source world. Those are the Joomla's, the Drupal's, the, the um, uh, WordPress's. And the open source world uh, is very flexible, very, you know, has a layer of making it easy-ish for the marketer to get their work done, depending on how complex the site is, how many plugins are layered on. Um, but the problem with those being on a non-SaaS infrastructure, that's where you, the trade-off here is that maintenance security issues, the always having to uh, update things. So anyway, what the takeaway here is that there's a lot of trade-offs in the world of, of CMSs. And what I'm uh, most proud of that CMS Hub allows organizations to do is not to have to make a trade-off. Hmm. It's, a, it's a system that is defying gravity in the sense that we pulled down all the power, the personalization and the flexibility from those enterprise CMSs. We pull that flexibility power down that make developers happy. But at the same time, we're pulling up all of the very easy to use um, marketer friendly type of technology that's being used in the web page, solarpreneur, you know, web page builder type um, rungs. We've kind of pulled the best of those both worlds together into one spot. I think that's what I'm most proud about. And um, to hear the folks that are building on there and see the work that they're able to do is just phenomenal. Um, absolutely love seeing the work that they're able to do in both those aspects. That's really, really exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, just to just to validate all of that, you know, we we work with a number of, of um, schools that are using uh, uh, CMS Hub and just and loving what uh, what HubSpot's doing there. And I think that that description of sort of the, the pulling down of what the enterprise level stuff has and the pulling up of what the, you know, free-ish freemium uh, options um, and and really kind of living in a space where you've optimized for power, but also for for functionality and use of, of the for the admissions and marketing team is a very accurate description of of the product that you all have built. So so thanks for that. Uh, yeah. What about what about part two of the question, which is uh, wh- wh- what are you most excited about with respect to how the product can improve over time? Well, we we have um, we have a lot of work to do. As always, we're hungry. We want to continue improving, and um, there's a there's of course no no shortage of of things to improve. But the areas that we are focusing on the rest of this year, 2020, um, with it being what is it May now, mid May, already, um, we are focusing on making it easier to manage assets across. Um, teams, organizations that are using the same website, right? So you have, they have this idea of a, um, an asset manager and an asset manager is where you host all of your files and tools and you do revisions and you do collaboration. And that's an area of the product that uh, we have today, but we know that it, it can be used a lot more effectively and, and better user experience, especially with larger organizations um, like potentially the university folks that are listening. And so we're going to make um, improvements in one, the asset management and the collaboration that happens um, with folk, with the files that are hosted in the system. The second thing we're going to do, which I guess I should have listed first, is um, we recently launched a new tier, an enterprise tier. And this enterprise tier of our CMS hub has um, you know a lot of the things that we've already talked about. I won't go through them in, in depth, but um, the three, the two that we haven't, or I guess the three that we haven't talked about is um, the ability to build web applications on top of the CMS. Hmm. So that's where you can build those really complex, you know, 
kind of like Facebook-like type of experiences, or it's like like basically a web application or a piece of software. Uh, the second area of the CMS uh, Hub Enterprise is the ability to gain governance and control at scale. And what this means is um, being able to um, give access levels, um, partition certain content so the right people have access to the right things, um, using things like um, a lot of things that make the IT team super happy, site performance APIs and uh, monitoring APIs, um, but basically allows you to take this and, and grow it into a, a, a very, very large organization. And the last one is extending your brand, being able to spin up multiple websites, um, having microsites for specific events, um, doing specific types of reporting across different brands. So that those are like the three things with the enterprise. So I say all of that because the, the second thing that we're focusing on the, the rest of this year is just making all of those features we've already launched that much better. You know, just like we talked about with growth driven design, we, we have our, I guess, launch pad um, launched with a lot of that. And it's, uh, we've already been releasing a lot of improvements to those um, from the feedback we're getting. Um, and the last one that I'll mention that I'm really excited about is the idea of um, the content and the assets and the things that are built into the CMS itself, um, making the content a lot more flexible um, because of like where it's being distributed. So for example, if your marketing team creates content, a piece of content and a set of assets in one place, they can choose where they want that information to distribute out to um, so that you don't have to create different sets of content for every single platform type or for every single place that you want to add that content. We're going to try to find ways to make it easier to distribute and, and kind of disconnect the content itself from the systems so that you can distribute it more effectively. Um, that's a world that we're um, actively exploring and building as well. So, um, and I, I guess the last, the little bonus one I'll throw in here is that, um, you know, content management systems are platforms and HubSpot is a platform. And that means that you have a lot of people outside of the software company itself that are building, you know, little micro applications and different functionality and different design templates on top of it. And so we're, we're putting a big emphasis on, um, we have been for a while, but the folks that are building on top of HubSpot and adding in uh, more flexibility. So we have, I think now over 350 different softwares that have built integrations on top of HubSpot. We have thousands of uh, templates and assets in our template marketplace if you want to build new pages. So we're going to continue to improve that and uh, make it easier for the folks that are building these really cool things on top, which for any of you listening, get to benefit from because you have more and more cool um, ingredients to add into your website recipe, I guess you could think of it as. Luke, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time, for walking us through uh, a really exciting conversation on sort of the history of, uh, or at least the modern history of, of website uh, redesign and dev. I really appreciate you uh, and, and the team and all the, all the work that you guys are doing over there at HubSpot to not just create an awesome product, but help people rethink uh, the role that the website plays in the customer experience. And again, in our context today, in the student experience. So thank you, thank you for for your time and for for all the work that you guys put out of course i i absolutely love this is this is my my favorite part of launching a product you know it's like you got the heads down work that you're doing with your team and and i kind of think of it like a like a musician you like we were in the recording studio making the cd and now we're on tour and so my favorite <laughs> part is meeting, meeting all the like super smart folks um like yourself that are just doing so many cool things with the platform and I appreciate everyone who's tuning in today to listen. I hopefully, even if you have absolutely no interest in HubSpot, uh, just the the concepts and the shifts that we're seeing in the industry, regardless of what technology you're using, what software you're using, hopefully um, some gears are turning. Um, and I appreciate you all spending some time with me today. I believe that gears are that gears are turning. So, oh, what's the best way for folks to uh, reach out to you, Luke, if they're interested in learning more about? HubSpot, uh, if, or if they're just interested in, in following you, where, where are you most active in terms of social networks? Well, for the CMS, the, the best place is just to go to HubSpot.com, um, or you can search HubSpot 
CMS and um, probably find the CMS. That's the best place you can get a, you can get a, we have free trials. So you can play around with it, um, break it, have some fun with it um, and see what it's all about. And um, for myself, the, the place I primarily use is, is LinkedIn these days. Um, I mean, I use all the platforms, but the one that I, I probably post the most relevant stuff for this group is LinkedIn. So if you just search me on uh, Luke Summerfield, just how it sounds on LinkedIn, you'll find me. Fantastic. All right, sir. Thank you again. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there. Thanks for tuning into today's episode, friends. Just one final reminder, if you want to learn more about conversational marketing and want to understand how your school can best leverage uh, conversational marketing strategies and maybe best leverage a chatbot to increase student engagement on your site, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify and download their free resource on does your college website need a chatbot? Again, you get to interact with a chatbot on the actual landing page, which is awesome. Um, So head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify and download the resource. Thanks everyone. Have a great day.